Looks like some kind of insect. A bee. Bees, Scotty. Killer bees. Are you endowing these bees with human motives? Do you have any idea what those bees can do? The honeybee is vital to the environment. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Welcome to Killer Bees. This is not a Wu-Tang podcast. No, this is a podcast where we profile B-movie and genre film icons. My name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Tori Potenza. And we can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at gmail.com. You can also find us on moviejohn.com. That's the Philadelphia John, J-A-W-N. We're part of their podcast network. Uh, the latest issue of the magazine is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an article about Speed Racer in it. Check it out. Subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah. And today, we are talking... Oh, hey, wait. I almost forgot the credits. Got to get those credits in. Oh, yeah. Our artwork is by Alex Schneider. Our music is by Christian Rayburn and our partner, Pat. And today, we're talking about Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Finally. I am so excited. Yes. I feel like we've been talking about this episode since maybe the first episode of the show. Yeah. I I mean we had high ambitions of like wanting to watch like everything. Uh we but watched we a watched lot. a lot. I yeah. think he is the actor I have watched the most movies for for the podcast. I think. I was looking at that yeah, the other day. And some of them were ones we watched like, you know, months ago. Yeah. yeah. Just like because we wanted to see them for other reasons. And so it just kind of worked out that we uh we saw so much of his stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I'm very excited to talk about him. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. And, you know, he's an interesting person for a couple different reasons. But one just being that he is someone that, you know, like early enough in his acting career, got this really iconic role playing uh, Norman Bates in uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and has kind of never lived that down. Right. Uh, and it is something that definitely, as we'll go through his like filmography and stuff, it's like kind of obvious like that this just uh, very much affected the kinds of movies he does for the rest of his life. It follows him throughout his career in more yeah. ways than one. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, do you want to talk about some other things we've been watching? I know we have been watching a lot of Anthony Perkins. I don't think I've watched any movies that were not Anthony Perkins movies, and <laughs> okay. that is because when we're not wa- we've when we were not watching Anthony Perkins movies, I have been like trying to get us to like binge uh, Attack on Titan because I'm loving it so much. We're yeah, in girl. season three now, which is really really good. I'm really loving season three. Yeah. This is where I have picked up and been like, oh, okay, yeah. now I'm really in. Yeah, there's like so much stuff I do want to watch, but like, yeah, I'm. I'm loving it so much. And then I've also been watching another anime called uh, uh, Jujutsu, Jujutsu Kaisen. Kaisan? Yeah, Jujutsu Kaisen or something Juju- like that? Jujutsu Kaisen. I yeah. So. I feel like I know how to say it every other time, except when I just tried to say it. Jujutsu Kaisen. It's something like that. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, very good. I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah, so I'm just, just like full hog into anime now. Occasionally I walk past you in the living room and hear characters on TV talking about how hot each other are, which yep. seems to be the plot of that show. Know if it happens that often. I think you just watch. I feel like every time I walk by, the characters are very horny. I don't know. 
it seems like not as horny as other anime that okay. I have watched. Okay. But they're, they, you did walk, you did, we're sitting there by... when we watched an episode where they introduce a character who was like, I need you to tell me your ideal woman. And like, he's like, mine like, is like a big ass. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is like the first time this has been happening. I just okay. know I walked into the room as somebody was talking about, I believe this specific quote was big bouncing boobs. I, yeah. I think was what they were talking maybe. about. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. <laughs> That's anime for you. Yep. Uh, I do really enjoy Attack on Titan. I think especially now that we've gotten into amazing. some of the like more world building yeah. intrigue aspects of it. I'm like really, yeah. really into it. Uh, and like both of these animes that I've been watching uh, have at least certain storylines that seem to have a lot to do with like dismantling old regimes and old systems of power and government and all this stuff was just like, I feel like rings uh, very true uh, to like things going on now. Yeah. Uh, and so I just am very much appreciating that. Yeah. You want to watch the world burn? I mean, I think that we need to like burn down a lot of the systems that we have in place in our country in order to actually help people we keep trying to mend broken systems and that doesn't seem to be working very well yeah somehow i asked that with like an incredulous tone even though what i intended to say was like you want to join me in burning the world down right oh yeah i was like oh i was like we're at, we're both on board with this right yeah, like yeah. this isn't news no no everything can and probably will collapse soon yeah yeah yeah. And hopefully we have a hand in it yeah. <laughs> in some way or another. Uh, yeah, world's real bad right now. Uh, yeah. But that's why we got Anthony Perkins movies. And then uh, we quickly disappear after recording this episode uh, <laughs> because the secret police uh, have taken us or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I wanted to bring up was um, I've been re-watching some John Carpenter movies because um, hmm. a podcast that I really like called Blank Check is going through his filmography right now. And uh, I rewatched The Fog this week and loved The Fog all over again. I feel like I fall deeper in love with that movie every time I watch it. It's a great movie. It's just very beautiful, has a wonderful atmosphere. It has a really kind of romantic undertone to it that I don't know that I totally tuned in with until this watch. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's something about feeling like I'm living through the actual apocalypse right now, but... I was kind of watching that movie going like, yeah, you know what? It would be nice to just be up in a lighthouse when the rogue wave that takes out the East Coast hits. I would like that. Yeah. Be nice to just be somewhere yeah. beautiful and serene as everything comes crashing down. Yeah. I'm into that idea. Yeah. Duff Fog. Love it. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's uh, get into Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Um, so Anthony Perkins, uh, according to IMDb, has 67 acting credits, uh, two directing credits, and also one writer's credit. But I believe he also did some like stage direction and writing as well uh, throughout his career. Okay. Um, but I, we just, uh, I don't like always do the deepest research into people's like stage stuff as I should sometimes. So it's okay. Um, we're, we're focused on their movies. Yeah, That's what it's we're about for. the movies. Yeah. Um, and so I have a quote to kick us off. Um, he says, it's satisfying to have grown from where I was to where I am. Um, but there is so much growing still to be done. As long as I live, I'll be cleaning the past out of my mind, getting rid of those old cassettes I play over and over, my memories, my beliefs. I want to keep up with my life. 
live it so completely that when death comes like a thief in the night, there will be nothing left for him to steal. Wow, what a beautiful sentence. I mean, that sounds like he wrote that. You it know just, what I mean? Yeah, it was like, it felt, uh, you know, considering he has like, you know, kind of like a tragic death and stuff, it just like is... I don't know. It felt like very appropriate to these uh, very talented, very like, you know, kind of lonely man uh, that we love so much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can tell he's from a different era. He refers to his memories as cassettes. Yes. Yeah. It's a really uh, dated quote. It's entirely possible someone's listening to this podcast that doesn't know what a cassette is. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. Look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Anthony Perkins was born April 4th, 1932 in New York City. Uh, he is six. He was six foot one as an adult, so which I put in there just because he he does have this like towering presence. Yeah, wow. Um, I guess I never thought. Of, I mean, he he. I always think of him as lanky. I don't think of him as tall, but yeah. that makes sense that he's also very tall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, his father was Osgood Perkins, who was a well-known and regarded um, stage and film actor. Okay. Um, and he had um, his mother, Jane, who also did a lot of, like, kind of, like, administrative work in the theater scene, which uh, kind of helped him, I think, get into acting. Because um, his father died when he was, like, five years old. Oh. Um, and because he was uh, acting so much, they, like, didn't actually spend that much time together. And so he, like, didn't mm really know his father and then after his father died uh it seems like he had kind of a tumultuous relationship with his mother uh where they were very close but she was very controlling he mentions that she controlled everything about my life including my thoughts and feelings um and then also mentions we'll we'll talk about this i guess because this is all very relevant obviously like the big character he plays yeah uh he says like she was constantly like touching me and caressing me and so there it seems like there was like kind of a a weird dynamic with their relationship um and it also like I just started reading um, his biography today. Okay. Um, just because I brought it to work with me to like pull some notes, and so I just decided I finished my other book, so I read a little on the way home. And um, it sounds like his mother may have also had some like uh, love affairs with women mm. after his father died. Mm-hmm. Um, she like lived with a woman for twenty years. Um, okay. A poet or a playwright, I, f- I forget, but. Um, so it, it's interesting that she maybe also had this like other life, um, but clearly they were both affected very greatly by the father's death, and it definitely had an effect on his relationship with his mother, who he says was also like his harshest critic uh, throughout uh-huh. his lifetime. Well, this is interesting to me, and I, not to like jump straight into his movies because I know there's like more we want to talk about here, but like you know norma bates as a character we don't know much about until like the final psycho movie and then it's very specifically like what you just described is what they showed norma's relationship to be with norman i would like to maybe talk about that as we go through the psychos because i think those movies all delve into different parts of norman that also feel very relevant to anthony perkins life um because a lot of a lot of people including like the author of uh it's split image is the the biography i'm reading yeah um a lot of people talk about how this was a character he had a lot in common with and he even mentions like how much he like he could find himself in norman so it's it's going to be interesting as we talk uh, more um, he attended the Brooks School and uh, Brown and Nichols School, uh, 
as well as Columbia University and Rollins College. Um, he never completed his degree, but was given an honorary degree by the college some 20 years later. Okay. Um, Anthony Perkins is was the father of Oz Perkins, who was an actor that I just realized I never I knew he was a director, but yeah. I didn't know he was an actor. And then someone posted a picture of him in Legally Blonde, and he is <laughs> this very awkward like student that Elwood's like kind of becomes friends with. Okay. Uh, and I was just like, oh, this is like very funny to me. Um, but yeah, Oz Perkins directed um, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, uh, Gretel and Hansel, and The Black Coat's Daughter. Yeah, and you and I are pretty big fans of uh, his Gretel and Hansel movie. Yes, I, I like that, and I Am the Pretty Thing. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Black Coat's Daughter, mm-hmm. but I also know there's a huge fan base for that one, mm-hmm, so he's definitely mm-hmm. like a, a genre like horror director that a lot of people enjoy. Yeah. And his uh, brother is Elvis Perkins, uh, who was who's a music- musician and composer, and did the music for Oz's uh, first two films, oh, Black Code and I Am the Pretty Thing. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've not seen either of those, actually, so I will be curious to catch up with those. Yeah. And, you know, Oz uh, seems to have been named after Anthony's father, which mm-hmm. is also pretty interesting. Um, we will talk a little bit more about his, like, uh, his like sexuality uh because it plays like a pretty big role i I think plays it is pretty important to like who he was like as a person yeah and what he went through um but he eventually did get married to a woman uh named barry burnson who was a photographer and like socialite at the time um and one of the the notes I have here, which I just think was so tragic, is that she was one of the 58 victims on the plane out of Boston uh, that terror- terrorists crashed uh, on 9/11, which is, that is wild, horribly tragic. And like I, it, like you think about Perkins himself having um, so much tragedy around his own parents, yeah. and then his own children end up having to go through kind of similar tragedy with him and, and his wife, yeah, right? Like they, so they both sad. die kind of tragically um, and, and at relatively like youngish age, you know, not, not, not just yeah. tragically, but young as well. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, it says like prior, we'll talk about his roles, but prior to his roles in Norman Bates, he was uh, kind of like, they usually describe him as like the generic young leading man yeah. in a lot of the roles he took. Um, and he even played the romantic leads in some films. But once his infamous role as Psycho comes, he talks about how he kind of resented at least some of the impact that had on his career because he wasn't necessarily this like romantic leading man anymore. Uh, he was the troubled like youth or like troubled young man uh, in many of the uh, films he was in. Even like some of the ones I watched where he's a little older, he he tends to play characters that are quote unquote troubled in some way, you know, for sure. Um, But yeah, it was really cool to like see some of the younger roles where he is like a romantic kind of leading man character. And he's, and he's good at that too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, So yeah, I want to talk, Anthony Perkins is the first person that we've done on the podcast too, I guess will kind of give the generic like broad term was like a queer yeah. actor. Yes. Um because, you know, I think that it's hard to put a 2021 of like mindset in place uh since he also like 
died in the 90s um, and never really came out in any sort of public way about what he was or was not. Right. Um, he never put a label to it, so we are not going to either. Yes. Um, uh, other than to say that I, I think it is safe to say that uh, he was a queer man. And, um, yeah. That um, makes him our, our first, uh, you know, the first queer person we're covering on the show, which yeah. is something that is like very important to me that we do. So I'm so excited. That's I'm, I'm really excited that we're doing yeah. this episode. Um, yeah. So Tony did not have sexual relations with a woman until he was almost 40 years old. Um, okay. He uh, just from reading the biography, the little bit I have seems like uh, when he was in college, at least he definitely had like some of his first like affairs with men, Okay. Um, which a, a lot of that information I think comes from some of those men who were still alive and able to like be interviewed and okay. talk about that. So other men have basically spoken yes. about having relationships with him. Okay. I had this, I found an interesting quote actually where he just says, and still doesn't really give much detail, but says I had wild fantasies, but my erotic experience was mostly solitary. Along the way, I'd had homosexual encounters, but that kind of sex always felt unreal to me and unsatisfying. And I had never had sex with a woman. The very thought of it terrified me. It's um, very interesting. Uh, which also having this like, you know, tumultuous relationship with his mother mm -hmm. who was like very overbearing and kind of controlling it, it is interesting how that maybe affected his life and the relationships he ultimately had certainly um he was connected to many uh different men and a lot of like actors specifically but some of the people that um perkins was with were people like tab hunter uh i believe there was actually i don't know if it's still in the works but they were working on a film about uh tony and tab uh, oh, and their relationship that's interesting um he also was with the choreographer grove dale um they had a six-year relationship i believe they lived together okay um but he's also been connected to people like rock hudson james dean and paul newman wow okay which i thought was so interesting also just because um and it makes sense for this time especially like the 50s and the 60s where you know you have McCarthyism mm -hmm. and like all of this stuff going on where like being different was very scary mm -hmm. and especially being a person in the public eye and so many of these actors are people that were like the image of masculinity at this time and were actually having like same-sex relations yeah I mean I don't even think I knew this about Paul Newman necessarily yeah um uh, Perkins is also described as one of the two great men in the life of French author Patrick uh, Louet. Um, his focus on his career made him keep these relationships a secret. Um, he really wanted to succeed and felt that, you know, divulging any of this would be really damaging to his career. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, I believe that's like the story of Rock Hudson as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, Tab mentions like this was the 50s. A public person could uh, a public person could not go public even if he wanted to. And Tony did not want to. Mm -hmm. Um uh, yeah, and like Tab was interesting too. He was connected with people like Debbie Reynolds and Tuesday Weld, oh. uh, who Perkins was in several movies with. Um, I even found uh, some information that just said that uh, Weld's like was a quote beard for Perkins at some point. Okay. I don't know how true that is, or if they're simply like confusing uh, Tab and uh, Perkins with their close relationship. Sure, yeah, yeah. But it is interesting too, just like these men also having close relationships with women to sure. hopefully spark to like hopefully dispel some of these potential rumors yeah, yeah. about them. Um, 
Yeah, and I guess like also thinking about like Perkins eventually resenting having played yes. um, Norman, mm-hmm. and because it takes away some of the romantic leading roles, and that you know being able to picture him in that way, yep. I assume that means that's part of the concern about his sexuality too. Yeah. It's like if people know that uh, you know I'm not straight, like I, they will mm-hmm. be less interested in casting me as like romantic leading yeah. men, you know. Um. Perkins, as well as uh, his uh, former partner, Grove, both went to the same psychiatrist to treat them for homosexuality, essentially. Interesting. Um, like a, like conversion therapy. Yeah, yeah. and like I, I believe she was even at Perkins' wedding, his psychiatrist. Okay. Um, and talks about how they had a very tumultuous relationship, too, and a, and a lot of it was very hard, and they had, like, screaming matches. Whoa. Um. But he says, without therapy, I would never have done writing or directing, not to mention being a husband and father of two sons. Um, so it is like interesting, the things he felt very grateful for of this therapy. Certainly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, he met his wife, uh, Barry Berenson, at the age of 40. Uh, they met each other for the first time at a party in New York and were in 1972 and were inseparable. I guess she like was a huge fan of Perkins okay. and like kind of had like this crush on him her whole life okay. and then met him. Um, I believe she was like 25, 27 when they met. So she was like a little bit younger than okay. him also. Okay. Um, he even like talks about his relationship and getting married and how, um, he felt his life was much more structured and or- ordinary. Married life made him, quote, not nearly so grasping and ambitious, not so paranoid, not so fearful. Hmm. Um, so even just the stability he got from this relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found out from the book that she actually got pregnant with their first child uh, before they were married. Mm. Um, and I was like three months pregnant. Uh, when they got married okay um and there was some discussion of perkins not wanting to be a father and wanting her to potentially consider terminating the pregnancy Mm -hmm. um because he was very fearful of being a father and Mm. what that meant which Mm. again is interesting and something i think we'll come back to a (laughs) little bit later on this is so crazy yeah um it Uh, crazy because this all plays into like the rest of his career which we'll talk about as we go yeah yeah um According to the biography, it does seem that, like, sometimes, like, when his wife was away on, like, photography assignments and other things, like, he did maybe meet up with some of these, like, men that he knew from his past. So it sounds like, I don't know if it was some sort of open relationship or it's, but it seems like his wife knew something about kind of these sort of going on. But um, she also came from an unhappy home. And one of the things it said in the biography was that, like, they wanted to create a home unlike the one they had when they were children. Mm. And that even meant, like, that there was always a place for him if he strayed. And Mm. I I just think Mm -hmm. that is very interesting that, like, they found some sort of way. And we're married for, like, over 20 years. So, like, definitely found some way to make this relationship work. And it seemed like a very loving relationship from uh, some of the little researches I had done. Um, yeah. And I mean, it It sounds like his sexuality is something he struggled with throughout his life, but, you know, maybe both in terms of public perception versus what he wanted for mm-hmm. himself, but also perhaps due to, you know, some yeah. potentially like psychological issues yeah. he may have had from um, his relationship with Because that's his so parents, hard too, you know? is yeah. like figuring out who you are when you've had so much of this like damaging stuff happen to you early on in life. Like I'm assuming it made it very hard for him to figure out like 
who he was, who he wanted to be, who he wanted yeah. to be with. So, And in a world that is so much more oppressive than the one that we're yeah. living in now, I think it's probably even hard for us to imagine what it might have felt like you for know, sure. in, in that time. Um, but interesting because it, you know, it is very complex kind of talking about some of some of this and yeah. especially with these actors a lot of whom like kept these sort of uh relationships private in their life again it's like i don't want to put like i'm not going to put words in a man's mouth you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's it we you know i suppose we can only quote unquote speculate but but uh more what i mean to say is just uh you know uh, i think defining him as as queer yeah. is is fair enough and yeah, I guess I don't want to yeah. go beyond that. And, you know. It, you know, if he was alive today, it would be interesting to know what he would say yeah. about that, if he would say anything. Certainly. But, you know, that's that's just nothing we can right. we can really be right. sure of. But I'm excited to, like, talk about his career through the, some of this framework, right? Yeah. Which, yeah. yeah, I thought it would be good to talk about this at the beginning, yeah. as it also plays into some roles and characters and whatnot. Absolutely. Um. So, yeah, his career uh, on screen gets started in the 50s. Uh, for TV, he did things like, which I didn't know this was a thing. He was on General Electric Theater, uh, okay. Goodyear Playhouse, and Craft Theater. As in, like, I these big companies? These big companies had, like, these, like, you know, however long, like, productions that aired, like, you know, I don't know if they were an hour or what, sure. but they were, like, it was, like, a playhouse thing, which I knew that that was the thing that was popular, but I did not know that they were sponsored by corporations, right. which is wild that to it's me. Like, it's, like, a little variety hour brought to you yes. by Goodyear. Yes, yeah, which yeah. is so strange. Wow. Um, his first film role was in 1953. He was in a movie called The Actress, which was a biopic about the real-life experience of the actress and playwright Ruth Gordon. Okay, I don't think I'm familiar with her. Uh, me neither. Um, in 1956, he was in the film Friendly Persuasion about the pacifist attitude of a Quaker family, which is tested during uh, the American Civil War. Uh, and he was actually nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Award during the Oscars. Goddamn uh, Tony Perks. Yeah. Second movie out. Nomination. I know. It's wild. As our friend uh, George said on uh, The Best Little Horror House in Philly, a podcast that you and I were on to mm-hmm. talk about Psycho 2. I think about this all the time when we were talking about Psycho 2. He said the phrase, Tony Perks don't miss. Yep, it's and, true. Uh, it is very true. Uh, in 1956, he did a film called Fear Strikes Out, which was the true story of the life of Jimmy Pearsall, who battled mental illness to achieve stardom in Major League Baseball. Okay. Uh, which is also interesting because I guess when he was a kid, his mom was so worried about him being such an introspective child that she kept pushing him to play baseball because that's what I think his dad liked and he okay. had zero interest <laughs> in sports. Uh, but it is interesting that he then portrays uh, this person. Right. He Okay, I was just looking that up. He stars in that. Uh, yep. And also interesting that, again, we're only we're three credits deep and he's already playing somebody that's battling mental illness. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, but then we get some films that are interesting. Like he was in the, a film called The Lonely Man, which was a Western, uh, followed a by man. The Tin Star, another Western with Henry Fonda. Okay, I got to look these Westerns up. Yeah. Uh, and then This Angry Age, which was a French drama oh, that he was okay. in. Um, in 1958, he was in a drama called Desire Under the Elms with Sophia Loren, uh, who he was with uh, in another movie, which we'll talk about later that we watched. Yep. Um, and then he was in a romantic comedy called The Matchmaker with Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, okay, so he's like co-starring with like the big actresses of oh, the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and then in 1959, he was in a movie called The Green Mansions, which was a romance with Audrey Hepburn, who I love so much. Yeah. Um, a young man in the jungles of Venezuela meets a strange girl of the forest and falls in love with her. Uh, it just sounds like a reverse Tarzan. To yeah, me. yeah. Um, and then he was in a film called On the Beach, which was described as a sci-fi romance with Gregory Peck, Fred Astaire, and Ava Gardner. What the fuck? Okay, I'm looking that up immediately. I, yeah. I, that sounds great. So many, yeah, like very early on in his career working with like the greats of that time. It's very interesting. I'm also, I'm kind of taken aback by like, in my mind, you know, uh, and it's because I know nothing about him really, mm-hmm. right? Is like Psycho, he's so young in that movie, like, oh, this must be like his first movie and he just pops. It's like, yeah. no, this dude is fucking an Oscar nominated actor that's been in like 10 movies mm-hmm. before he gets to Psycho. Yeah, it's And is well. already like starring alongside these like big actresses and stuff. Yeah. Um, so then we get to his roles in the 60s. Uh, in 1960, he was in a comedy called Tall Story. Okay. And then uh, he was in Psycho, the role that like truly defined his career. Yeah. Um, so this is one of, you know, one of my favorite films in general and one that I've seen like countless times. Um, this is one of those movies that is like almost better than I remember it every time every I watch time. it. You know, which is crazy yeah. to say about a movie that is just like uh, truly one of the greats. And so much of it is because of Anthony Perkins. He's phenomenal. In this I, movie. it's the amount of sympathy you feel for him and like you just and this is something that you know goes on with the sequels too is that like you just want to root for norman i fucking love norman as a character yeah. uh, this man that like kills people and yeah. like not like there's n- no justification there that yep. is like no actually it's okay that it, it's yeah. he straight up is a serial killer yep. and i very much care for him and want the best for norman yep but, you know, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is that he kills people and he dissociates into the secondary yeah. personality, which is his mother, Norma. Yes. Um, which, you know, obviously had like a portrayed a man that had a very difficult relationship with his mother, um, who yep. by all accounts seemed to not be a very nice person and was maybe like emotionally, if not physically abusive. Yeah, I think in the first um, movie, they're cagey on details, right? Yeah, like pretty we, cagey. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everything we're hearing is also from like, what we think is her is actually Norman. Yes, right. Uh, so it's like hard to tell, mm-hmm. but like he is portraying his mother in this way. Um but yeah, he's he's so cute. Like I find uh-huh. him adorable in this movie. He's got that great like uh, black turtleneck that he wears. Yes, yeah. Like, yeah, he looks so good in it, and like he just seems so genuinely sweet and nice, and like awkward and innocent. I found out too that he had like a stutter when he was really young, which makes so much sense too, because oh, I think some of that awkwardness he is something that, you like, feel into the character yeah. actually, because Norman has like a, a minor stutter that yes. uh, appears in all four of the movies yep. when he gets really stressed. Norman will get like a little bit stuttery. Yep. That's very interesting that that's like a detail he brought from his own life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some of the information I have here. Uh, one thing he mentions is not many people know this, but I was in New York rehearsing for a play when the shower scene was filmed. Um, it's rather strange to go through life being identified with this sequence, knowing that it was my double. Wow. Okay, and that makes sense too because like that is one of the sequences where we don't yet know that mother is also yes. Norman, and so it's just a figure that we're seeing do mm-hmm. all this. We never see a face. Yeah. Um, 
He said, working on the picture, though, was one of the happiest filming experiences of my life. We had fun making it, never realizing the impact it would have. And he goes on to say, it is the Hamlet of horror roles, okay. which is such a fascinating and comparison that I was like, oh, that does make a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, he said, I have a lot of affection for Norman Bates and a lot of sympathy. So does the audience, I think. He's not just a monster. He's tortured. The real secret of the Psycho movies is that they're tragedies first and horror movies second. Oh, uh, man, I love the way he said that. That makes so much sense as to why I love them as much as I do. Yeah, I know. Um, and then I I just liked him talking about this because I think uh, it seems maybe he even felt uh, complicated about this role because there's some stuff that seems like he feels resentful of just how it uh, impacted the trajectory yeah. of his career. But then he also says that um, I think it's my favorite role as well. So many thousands of people have come up to me on the street and in the hotel lobbies and department stores and have shared their experience of seeing the films with me. It's always been uh, with the greatest amount of pleasure that they've done so they've told me stories about the dates they had with their future wives they've told me the stories about sneaking out of the bathroom window and seeing it against their parents orders and many stories like that which have imprinted it into their minds um, always with a feeling of having been entertained and having been taken in by the story and having a good time of course I enjoy that that's wonderful I like that he at least had some perspective on it right and you have to yeah. imagine he did because like we will get to this, but he returns to this role like almost, I mean, it's like almost 25 years later. Well, and, you know, this was a big deal when it first came out, yeah. too. Like, there's so much about it. Like, you know, the uh, toilet uh, that gets yeah, I flushed. Think, I believe it's the first time a toilet flushes yes. in a major movie. You have movie. like a... Woman in her underwear, I oh, think is another yeah, big thing, right? Yeah, woman in her underwear. You, this, the woman, like, in the shower scene is murdered, like, in a shower, and yeah. she is, like, naked. You don't see anything, but it is obviously, like, implied. I think I even heard that that opening scene where she's in the hotel room with Sam, is that the character's yeah, name? Yeah, because she's just, like, in her underwear on the bed. And the notion that it's a woman just in a hotel yeah. room with a man. That, and just, and like, they're not married. They're not married. They are just having yeah. sex because they like each other yep yeah yeah I, so there's I've so much that all of that yeah. is like in its time very controversial very yeah whoa whoa this you know and so it's like i i can see people having those big stories about like whoa i remember the first time i saw yeah. this or it was like hard to see this and so like hearing those stories must be so cool um, yeah so it's like nice to hear that he was like impacted by that too yeah yeah and, and you know you have to imagine he, he must have liked this character in some respect he doesn't just come back to it once he comes back to it like three times yes and and you know, maybe for different reasons each time too, but each of those, mo we'll talk about it, but yeah. I, I think that's interesting. Um, after he does Psycho in 1961, he does a film called Goodbye Again, a drama with Ingrid Bergman. Cool. Uh, and then in 1962 does um, the movie Phaedra based on the play um, Hippolytus uh, from the Greek from Greek mythology, okay. um, which again, Phaedra is a character I just read about in Ariadne. She is Ariadne's sister. She's like a princess of Crete. And so it's just like interesting that for some reason this keeps coming All of up. This Greek mythology yeah. is constantly, yeah. Yep. Um, but it's like, I guess it seems like it's a modern take on some of those stories, which mm -hmm. I find interesting. And so that that's actually one that I would like to watch. Um, and then after that, he does the movie Five Miles to Midnight, uh, which we watched. Yeah, um, we and this the... is another film that he is in with Sophia Loren. Yes. Um, 
and plays like of such an interesting character because the premise is that like he is this like both emotionally and physically abusive husband to her who she thinks dies in like a plane crash right and then he comes back and is like no i survived but like this is gonna change our lives because you're gonna get the insurance money for me and like we're gonna be rich and right. uh proceeds to just like live and hide in her apartment so it's this woman who like you know i don't know if she wanted her husband to die but she was definitely like out and now he drags her back in basically the opening scene of the movie is her trying to leave him Yes. He's going to leave on this trip, and literally as he's getting on the plane, she's yeah. like, I'm not going to be here when you get back. Yeah. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Then his plane crashes, yep. and then he comes back and is like, actually, I'm not dead. I'm just going to live in your apartment for the next like six months so that we can convince the insurance company that I yep. am fucking dead, and then we collect. Yep. And then he just continues. The thing that is so good about his role in this mm-hmm. is that... Again, you feel like there's a little bit of psycho here being influenced in the casting mm-hmm. because a lot of what is so what he's so good at and really hones in on is the type of toxic male that is abusive but then in the seconds of being abusive realizes he's being abusive and turns on a dime to yeah. oh, I'm so sorry. I you know I'm not normally like this. Please forgive me. Yeah. You know like you watch him just or just like makes a joke, yep. like because he plays it like the the moments where he's like cute and jovial are like very similar to the moments in Psycho when he is yeah. also that way. But like I think he is scarier in this movie because of the like physical and emotional abuse yeah. that he's, he's not also associating putting on. when he does no, that. No, he's not. He's no, that's just it. him doing it yeah. at at the drop of a hat, yeah. going yeah. from like smacking her across the face yeah. to being like, "Oh, haha, I love you," yep. and it's it's really terrifying yes. um but he's he's great in it she's really great in she it is, yeah um i i think it's got like not the end end i didn't love but like there's a good like you know you get the title five miles to midnight and then yeah, this yeah. big event happens that i think is like uh really interesting and fun uh, interesting enough that it actually kind of like uh, i'm not gonna say saved the movie for me but like mm-hmm. i i this movie was like mostly working as a vehicle for Anthony Perkins for me. I thought yeah. he was really good in it. But the 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 movie it's like a two hour movie that doesn't need to be two hours. It kinda mm. like it's going and going and but that I did think the finale was like, oh, this is really interesting. Like yeah. this is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and there's a Kino Lorber Blu-ray that we own of this. So if anybody yes. wants to watch it, you can get your hands on it. Yeah, which uh yeah, I was excited to get my hands on this. Uh, where am I? We're right in the middle of the 60s. Yep. Uh, after that, he does The Trial, directed by Orson Welles, which is based on the Kafka story I by the same that. name. Um, I guess he and Orson Welles got pretty close, which I, I think is like an interesting connection, too. That is too. a very interesting pairing. Uh, they work together several times. Um, but yeah, I would like to see that because I also love Kafka a lot. Yeah. Um, he then does a, a French-Italian drama, which uh, when tr- I translated it, because the name was something I would butcher really badly, uh-huh. uh, The Sword and the Balance, and Two Are Guilty. Okay. <laughs> um, so it is interesting also just how many uh, films he does overseas, it seems. Yeah, because uh, there's quite a few, like French-Italian. He, he did, yep. Yeah, a lot of UK stuff. Um, he then, in 64, does a film called Agent 3824-36, a comedy with Bridget Bardot. Okay. Uh, and in 65, does a film called uh, The Fool Killer, a.k.a. Violent Journey, which is, like, described as a drama. 
Uh, and then in 1966, he does a film called Is Paris Burning, which is like a war drama. Okay. And then in 67, does a film called The Champagne Murders, which I did want to find. Um, a champagne tycoon's partner suspects his partner's gigolo husband of murders he's been framed for. And apparently Anthony Perkins plays the gigolo husband? Yeah, which is hilarious. All right, I'm also. really mad we didn't watch this now. Um, and then in 1968, he does Pretty Poison with Tuesday Weld, uh, which we uh, really enjoyed. I thought this was really I good. I'm glad we found movie. it. It's about essentially about like a troubled young man who convinces this very young girl that he is a secret agent yep. uh, and she gets roped into some of this intrigue. Uh, but... It does not go where you expect it to. This was another one, actually, that, like, towards the end, I was like, eh, I don't know if I like where this is going. And then it, like, kind of ramped back up for me, and yes. I ended up really enjoying me it. Me too. Me too. Because um, Tuesday Weld is also very good. Tuesday Weld's Before great this, this, the only thing I think I've seen her in is Thief. Me too. Because um, she's, like, James Caan's love interest yeah. in that. Um, so seeing her younger with Perkins yeah. was very interesting. She's very good in this movie. He is very good in this movie. Yeah. I do think for our audience's sake, like kind of the less said about it, the better as far as like yes. some of the plot machinations. Because yeah. it uh, it goes in a lot of different directions that I did not expect it to. Mm -hmm. And there were times when I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. And there were times when I was like, oh, no, are we really doing this? And the yeah. journey that it takes you on as you do that is very intentional, I think, and very fun to kind of explore yeah. with the movie. Um, suffice to say, they're both really good in this, and mm -hmm. I really people should try and find this movie and seek it yeah. out. I, I'm surprised I had never heard of it before because it is really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, it, I, I couldn't help but make myself laugh that it's like a little bit like this one subplot from True Lies, just played out as like a whole movie. Mm. Uh, in True Lies, uh, uh, we talked a little bit about Bill Paxton plays a guy claiming to be a secret agent mm. that is not. Uh, yeah. And that's like just a subplot in that movie. And that is just the plot of this movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, but played to less comedic effect here, but also still kind of. Um, yeah, there's definitely stuff that feels kind of funny yeah. as it's happening. But I think then, too, you're like, all of a sudden it kind of takes this darker turn. Yes. And you're like, ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved this movie. Like, yeah. This felt like a really big discovery here where it's like, you know, I love the Psycho movies, and I really like uh, Anthony Perkins for those. I'm really happy to investigate the rest of his career. And then it's like, oh, there's like the, this other amazing movie hiding out there that nobody yes. talks about, you know? Uh, in 1970, he does uh, Catch-22 based off the Joseph Heller book, uh, and the film has Alan Arkin, Martin Sheen, Bob Newhart, and Orson Welles, with like, yeah. plenty of other people. I, I almost watched this just because I feel like I probably should, but also yeah. don't actually really have <laughs> that much of an interest. I know. I did not finish the book, yeah. even though it's a classic. Right. Uh, yeah. I was just like... I, like, got what he was trying to do, and I was like, oh, that's fun, and then I, like, didn't need to know more after that, you yeah. know, if that makes sense. I also, you know? this is one of those books that, like, seven different teachers tried to make us read throughout school, yes. and so, like, at a certain point, you're just like, why, I don't know that I ever need to read that again, yeah. or should have in the first place, like, yeah. what are we doing? I'm trying to get away from being like, oh, I have to read these classic yeah, books, yeah. and being like, or I could just read books that I like, yeah. and aren't written by white men. <laughs> um... In the same year, he does a film called Wusa with Paul Newman. I, I believe that might be W-U-S-A based on what it's about. Okay. 
Um, a radio station in the deep south becomes the focal point of a right wing conspiracy. Yeah. So I think the station's probably called WUSA. Gotcha. Uh, I wanted to find this because I really like Paul Newman and considering what's happening in the world right now, uh, I was like, oh, a movie about a right wing radio conspiracy host. Yeah. Probably yeah. do want to watch that and see what's up. Um, he then does the movie How Awful About Alan, which was a TV movie. Um, after an eight-month stay in a mental hospital, a tormented man comes home to live with his sister, but a mysterious boarder may be trying to kill him. Okay. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. was another I was kind of interested in seeing. That title is great. How Awful About Alan. Yeah. I feel like it sounds like some other movies, too, where I'm like, oh, that's like, I've there are a couple movies that have like kind of similar titles. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I wonder if that's like reference to to this mm-hmm. um and then in 1971 he was in the film someone behind the door uh another movie that we watched and found uh at uh viva video uh before they closed viva video yeah, yeah. uh i found this movie on accident because mm-hmm. i was looking at the charles bronson shelf and i saw anthony perkins face and i was like well that's certainly not charles bronson this is in the wrong place it is a weird combination of actors yep and then i pulled it off the shelf and it's those two guys co-starring in a movie together yeah and it's essentially perkins is like a doctor yeah who finds um bronson yes. and bronson has amnesia he can't remember who he is what happened to him how he got there whatever and so he brings him to live with him and like uses him to either kill his wife or her lover like it's kind of unclear what his plans really truly are because they kind of like evolve uh so he kind of plays this like puppet master that is trying to you know get some i guess revenge because of the uh love affair his wife is having which is very interesting he like tries to manipulate a man into committing a murder that that man like does not really want, yes. doesn't even know the players, in, right? Like, yeah, he convinces him that, like, oh, this is your wife, yeah. and, like, oh, no, she's doing this terrible thing to yeah. you, and yeah. this is the only option, yeah. and I'll help you. And he's really, I mean, he's, like, very good at, again, kind of being that, like, manipulative yes. person. Yes. Uh, he, he, which, for someone that, like, you know, his role was being cute Norman who then dissociates to become this terrible person. It is interesting watching those two things meld together when he is just like doing both. Yes. Um, Cause he, even in this one, like early on tries to be cute with his wife, tries mm-hmm. to get her to like sleep with him mm-hmm. before she leaves. And like, is she's like, Oh, I'm just going to see like my sister. And really she's going to see this guy. Yep. Um, but he's like, he's very, very good in it. Um, I loved him in this, and yeah. I loved Bronson in this. Like, I, I've only seen a few Bronson movies, mm-hmm. but I've seen like some of the big ones. I've seen like The Mechanic and Death Wish and stuff. And yeah. I'm very familiar with the Bronson persona, mm-hmm. and he is totally playing against that in this movie. I mean, this, uh, this like amnesiac that he plays is like pretty soft spoken. Mm. He's very frightened through a lot of the movie. Like, None of really the machismo that uh, Bronson is sort of known for. Well, and he used uses for. he uses it to for the parts where he's like so confused that he almost becomes like violent. Yes, yes, right. Uh, and There's, so it is like interesting how it's or whatever, yeah, right? yeah, where he just like needs to lash out because he doesn't know what's going on and yes. he's so confused. 
I, I was really impressed with his performance in it as well, uh, especially, again, another movie where it's just like, I've never heard of this. It's these two huge actors that have had like a huge impact mm-hmm. on a couple different genres, and they're both doing like really good work. At, so I bought the, I fe- there's a Kino Lu- uh, Lorber Blu-ray of this yeah. as well, and I, I bought it after we rented it because I liked it so much. Yeah. It's something I think people should see, and it's like, I don't know if it's like a French production or something, but like it just takes place in a really beautiful home on a beautiful beach. Mm-hmm. It's like a one location movie. Really, really good. Um, after that, he does uh, 10 Days Wonder, a mystery with Orson Welles. Boy, he was in a bunch of movies with Orson Welles. I know. Huh? In 1972, he was in the movie Play It As It Lays, another film where he and Tuesday Weld are side by side. Oh. Um, a Hollywood actress undergoes a psychic breakdown and recalls the traumatic event which led her to the sanitarium. Okay, probably another movie playing on the Norman Bates of it all. I mean, we, we've already talked about like four or five, right? Like we were still within like 10 years of him making that movie. Yeah. Uh, in 1974, he was in Loving Molly, which is a romance, and then was in Murder on the Orient Express, the Agatha Christie adaptation that has uh, Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman, Sean Connery. So it's got this crazy ensemble cast. I've seen it. It's been a while, but I... It was a movie that I remember just, like, it was on, and I was like, oh, I'm going to change this. And then I got, like, really wrapped up in it and just was like, oh, this is actually really great. Yeah, I've never seen Um, this, actually. Yeah, it's like, you know, the whole plot is that, like, there's a dead body on the train, and there are all of these, like, players who seem to have some sort of reason for maybe wanting to kill this person. And, uh, I mean, it's such an ensemble cast with so many crazy actors. Like I forgot that Perkins was in it until we really started like talking about this episode and doing it. Um, so yeah, you know, again, like acting beside all of these like really great actors and being in these very iconic roles. Yeah, I mean, um, it's one that I really would like to see because yeah. isn't it? Um, did Sidney Lumet make that movie? I'll look this up really quick. I think he did. Oh, he plays a character named McQueen. Um, yeah, I, I've always wanted to see this. I would like to see this. Yeah, Sidney Lumet directed this. Lumet, Lumet, yeah. Uh, in 1975, he was in the film Mahogany with Diane Ross and Billy Dee Williams. Sold on that cast. Yeah, alone. great cast. Um, and 1978 does a film, uh, Remember My Name, a thriller with Tim Thomerson, Dennis Franz, and Jeff Goldblum. You better believe I tried to find this one. Uh, just released from prison, a young woman arrives in town to start a new life, but soon begins stalking a married construction worker for no apparent reason, turning his life inside out and eventually terrorizing him and his wife. Yeah, I tried to find that shit. I yeah. would really like to see that. Sounds very interesting. Yeah. Uh, he then does a TV movie adaptation of Les Mis and plays Haver. Uh, uh, so like one of the leads. Yeah, Javert. I get that's insane. I didn't know that he played Javert. Yeah. That's he's an interesting choice for Javert. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, in 1979, he was in the movie Twice a Woman, which we watched because it sounded way more interesting than it actually was. Yes. Uh, he's very good in it. He kind of plays this like misogynistic like um, uh, theater critic. Yes. Um, who, you know, his wife divorces him and then she has this affair with this younger woman and he's, like, very jealous and feels, like, very weird about it. And then, like, this young girl and him also start to have some sort of, like, relationship. Yeah, the young girl that his ex-wife is dating start having yeah. a relationship. So, yeah, so, like, that's where we're like, oh, well, this sounds wild. Yeah. And it is, but, like, God, the tone of this movie was so weird. I felt like no one reacted the way they should yes. given how 
crazy everyone was acting? It feels like this movie could and probably should be a good, sweaty melodrama. Yeah. You know what I mean? And instead, it's like kind of a pared down, uh, like dry drama. Yeah. Um, And like the performances are good. Perkins is good. And, you know, like playing a misogynist in a way that I was like, oh, I'm actually really impressed with your performance because this isn't really a way that I, I think about you. Um, and, and I thought he was really good at kind of being scary in that particular way. Um, but then, you know, you're watching this movie that is like honestly kind of a boring drama, even though those character dynamics are really interesting. Kind of boring. It's kind of boring. And then in the last fucking five minutes, it becomes the most interesting movie I've ever seen. Like the finale of this movie is truly wild. Yep. Uh, and I wish that the movie leading up to that finale were as wild as the finale. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it could have been. Yeah. Very strange watch. Yeah. Uh, I like almost want to recommend it because the ending is so crazy, but it's, I don't know. I don't know that I can. It's kind of boring. Yeah. Uh, and then he was in The Black Hole, which uh, you watched. I did. Yeah. Okay. So I liked The Black Hole quite a bit. This is a Disney movie. The Disney of it all is kind of a problem. There's like these robots in it that are cute, but like too cute for the tone of the movie. Otherwise, um, uh, the movie is like a really gorgeous, very colorful uh, science fiction movie that like, I-, I don't know. The last 30 minutes of this movie are some of the most ambitious science fiction I've ever seen in a movie. And it's got all these like late seventies special effects used to try and like bring these really crazy big ideas to life. So it's like really entertaining in the way that you're like watching this like, I don't know, just like something that they should not be able to pull off and they kind of can't, but they do anyway. I I loved it. I thought it was like pretty great. And Perkins is like not honestly, this might be like one of his more boring performances overall, in my opinion. But he is like cast again in a Batesy kind of role. His whole role in this is like he is the scientist that is eventually going to want to join up with the crazy space pirate they meet and be like, no, actually, I think he's cool and right. I would like to stay here with him. So it's like it's kind of a Batesy performance in that way, hmm. you know. Uh, and then we get to his career in the 80s. Uh, so in 1980, he was in a movie called North Sea Hijack. Which uh, sounds like a legitimate like '80s action movie that he was in. Uh, when terrorists take over two oil rigs and threaten to blow them up for their dem- if their demands are not met, an eccentric anti-terrorism expert volunteers his unique commando unit to stop them. Who does he play in that? It's very strange. Yeah, I was like, this sounds like a legit action movie. Yeah, I mean, he plays Kramer. Uh... I guess I would watch that. I that yeah, that is just sounds like a weird thing for him to be in. Yeah, even the poster looks like uh, you know, an exploitation action movie. Yeah. Uh, he then does a movie called Double Negative. A mentally tortured photojournalist attempts to track down his wife's murderer. Uh, yeah, I thought this one sounded interesting. Yeah, me too. Um, he then does a TV movie in 1983 called The Sins of Dorian Gray with Delinda Bauer, who was in RoboCop 2, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, and Michael Ironside. One of your faves. Uh, yeah, and Belinda, like, he was in a couple movies with her also. Okay. And it sounds like it's, like, a Dorian Gray, but, like, from, like, the female, like, perspective. Mm, okay. Which is, or, like, her, her, she's kind of, like, the Dorian Gray character. Oh, it oh. sounded, like, an interesting. Like a gender swap for Yeah. Yeah, okay, interesting. 
Uh, and then uh, he does Psycho 2, uh, which we have watched a couple times. I think if you would really like to hear us talk about this movie, you should listen to uh, Best Little Horror Show. Yeah, I think it's Best Little Horror House in Horror Philly. Horror House in Philly. That's yeah. it. Yes. Horror. H-O-R-R-O-R. Yes. Uh, yeah. Our buddy George had us on. We did, a, I don't know, probably like two-hour conversation about Psycho 2 with him. Yeah, and talked about why it is the best horror movie. Uh, and we we really love this movie I love very this much. love this movie. Um, you know, I think when we first started dating, you were going through the Psycho sequels on um, I Like to Movie Movie, and I yeah. was like listening to your episodes about them, but I hadn't seen them. And so it was like nice to see them and like this is maybe one of the best horror franchises just in quality almost like all four of these movies are pretty good yeah pretty good to great movies um and you know psycho 2 i think is a great movie also his son oz perkins plays young norman in this movie which is pretty fun um this is one of my favorite sequels i genuinely think it holds up in quality right next to hitchcock's original yeah and this is like over 20 years. Yeah, it's like 23, I think, years later. Yeah, it's tw- over 20 years like since he played Norman Bates. Yeah. And he, like, it's so weird how effortlessly he just falls back into the Norman we know from 1960. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, it's the craziest thing about the movie. Yeah. For like, the, for like the first 10 minutes, that's all you can think about is like, I cannot believe yep. that he just, he just is this guy again. Yes. In and a way he, that I don't know that I've ever seen another actor yeah. step back into a role. It's incredible. And he, you know, is playing Norman after he gets out of being in prison for 20 years and is trying to be rehabilitated. Yes. And, like, you're just, you want that for him so badly, yes. the whole movie. Because yes. it's the same thing in the first one where you're just like, God, I like this guy so much. Like, he's yep. so good. He just had, like, a terrible childhood. And so I want him to be healed from all yeah. of the trauma in his life. And um, um, Fright Night's Tom Holland wrote the script, and I think he does a really smart job where, like, in the same way that the original Psycho is all about trying to pull the rug out from under you by kind of like, you know, you're watching a movie that you think is about Janet Lee, and mm-hmm. then, oh, it's not actually about Janet Lee. Um, this movie doesn't do that, but finds a way to kind of do that again. Like, yeah. you think you're watching a movie about one thing. You spend a lot of the movie being like, yeah, I get it. This is exactly what I thought a Psycho sequel was going to be, only for the movie to kind of be like, right, we know you think that. The movie is actually yeah. doing a lot of other things. And yep. it's really, really fun. I, I love yep. this movie it's, so much. It's all about, like hard uh, relationships with your mother because yes. uh, not Norma's not the only like mother that like we deal with in this movie Correct. and so it's it's interesting how much focus this has on it which I again you know with Anthony Perkins relationship with his mother yes. it's interesting uh, delving back into all of that again yeah. all these years later yeah um, and then the following year, he does Ken Russell's Crimes of Passion. I had no idea it which, was right after this movie. Holy fuck, I love this movie so much. I really I, do too. I have truly discovered my love of Ken Russell this year. Uh-huh. We watched this and The Devils, yeah. and I watched uh, Lair of the White Worm. And Ken Russell's a fucking weirdo, yeah. but he is such a great weirdo. And this is a movie that I think I got on Arrow as a Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to see for it for a while because it's like... Um, Kathleen Turner? Kathleen Turner, yeah. yes. Kathleen Turner is playing like a a woman who 
on the side is a sex worker. Uh, Anthony Perkins is like a crazed preacher that is obsessed with her slash wants to kill her with a like killer dildo. It's a wild movie yeah. um, that uh, also looks gorgeous. Yeah, neon as fuck. Yes. Um, uh, and, and like, it, when you hear me say that, you're probably thinking of a, a hundred movies right now that have come out in the last ten years. It is more neon than they are. It's so true. It, like, uh, it, it is a wild fucking movie. It's got this incredible moment that I think about all the time where Anthony Perkins just, like, starts playing piano yeah. and, like, shout singing Come on, da-da, get happy. Your worries away. Like he, like it, it yeah. Is. And I think before that, he plays some music, uh, and that's him playing. He actually yeah. like knows how to play piano. And I think I read that it was like he was playing music from The Shining before that. Oh, okay, uh, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I like that idea. This movie is so fantastic. This yeah. is like another huge discovery off of this list of Anthony Perkins yeah. stuff. And again, a movie that I, I, I mean, I feel like I end up saying this a lot. So maybe I'm just a, a luddite, but like. I don't, I've never heard of that movie. You know what I mean? Like I had yeah. not heard of that movie until you bought it. Yeah. I I was very excited about this and it did not disappoint. Anthony Perkins is like pretty unhinged and he and Kathleen Turner also like are great together. Cause they just like have a lot of scenes where they're kind of going back and forth about like what's right and wrong. Yeah. And like both of them, you know, how ha- are like, you know, kind of messed up and have like these you know, some shit that they got to deal with. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting watching them have those conversations over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it has a feel of like a stage play almost. Yeah. Um, the hotel room that she operates out of is kind of the, it's not like the only location in the movie, but it's like one of the big focuses yeah. of the movie. That's great. Yeah. Um, apparently Perkins uh, was ordained as a priest as, or, or a minister as part of his research for this role. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, also there's, uh, the other lead in this is a movie as a man named, uh, Bobby Grady. Oh, right, oh no, right. sorry. Uh, the role is Bobby Grady. Yes, yes. And the actor that plays him is this very goofy, doofy kind of guy. I about that, yeah. But apparently Alec Baldwin, Jeff Bridges and Patrick Swayze all auditioned for that role. Whoa. And we instead get like this very strange actor who do I've you, never seen in anything else. Do you think? I think they ultimately made the choice. I'm curious. Who knows? Maybe these people all turned it down. But do you think Ken Russell ultimately made the choice of like, if one of those guys is in that role, it becomes about that character? Maybe. You know what I mean? Um, Also, according to Kathleen Turner, Perkins would sniff a form of nitrate before each take. Uh, which might make sense for okay. some of that. Yeah, uh, I know Perkins dabbled in some drugs, uh, as far as I'm aware. All right. Um, I think he was arrested for having a lot of marijuana. Which way hell to go yeah, now? my dude. <laughs> um, and then in the original screenplay, Peter Shane, uh, which is Perkins' character, is a shoe salesman. Oh. At the suggestion of Perkins, writer Barry Sandler changed the role to a minister to better satirize American sexual mores. Oh wow! Yeah. Dope. That uh, is what a smart way to go, Anthony. What a smart suggestion, especially because like the movie has such an extreme tone. It's like, yeah, why isn't that yeah. guy a priest? He doesn't need to be a shoe salesman. Like, fucking go for it. Yeah. Um, and then Psycho Three comes out in 1986, which is directed by Anthony Perkins. Sure it is, is his directorial debut, and he it does a Psycho movie. Comes back as Norman. Yep. Is still amazing as yep. Norman. I actually don't remember as much about this as I would like to. This is the one where Jeff um, Fahey has oh, purple neon balls. Which I have a, a note about that, actually. Uh-huh. Perkins originally wanted Fahey to be completely nude in the foreplay scene before 
Duke and Red, but Faith felt too uncomfortable, or Faye felt too uncomfortable being completely nude on camera, so he was allowed to hold the two lamps to partially cover himself, <laughs> which mean, is hilarious because that scene is so iconic. I know. I, it's an image I think about all the time. Yeah. But it's like, if he was just completely naked, be like, oh, weird, I saw Jeff Fahey yeah, naked. Yeah, right. But instead, it's like, I saw Jeff Fahey just like holding two big lamps in front of his genitals, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is so weird. Yeah, they're like bright purple, too. It's yep. great. Yeah, I mean, what to me, what's most interesting about this Psycho movie is that it's pretty funny. Yes. Like, Anthony Perkins clearly has a sense of humor. Yep. A good sense of humor. Yep. And a sense of humor about that role, about yep. his continued presence in that role. Mm -hmm. Like, I just was very impressed by that overall. I think yeah. this is, like, not as good as the first two Psycho movies, but it's not, like, a dip in quality, really. No. Um, in fact, for somebody's directorial debut, it's a really well-directed movie. Like, uh, Yeah, and it seems like like the cast liked working with him, even though it was his first time. It's it's interesting talking about so many of these people that are actors first and then dip yeah. their toe into directing. And it seems like, you know, it's just having that experience on the other side of the camera helps them a little bit. I assume actors like working with them, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I also had a note here, which I just thought was interesting. One of the actresses, Juliet Cummins, uh, was nearly fired after making an unintentional joke about Perkins' sexuality. Oh, interesting. Yes. So, yeah, he clearly was sensitive about this, yes. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I had a note that Perkins said the main inspiration for the style of the film came from Blood Simple uh, by the Coen brothers. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, a Blood Simple's a really good movie and, like, kind of a, you know, like a neo-noir a little bit and I, yeah. I guess i can i can maybe see a little bit of, of that in this movie yeah um after he does psycho 3 he was in the movie destroyer from 1988 oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. which we watched because it had a really good 80s horror poster one of the and best a really posters ever crazy maybe. tagline but it's about a a murderer who as he's about to get the electric chair uh the prison just like goes into chaos and there's this huge riot and the prison's abandoned and then months later uh a film crew decides to film a prison like exploitation movie there and turns out that this killer is still alive in the prison yes. and starts murdering the cast and crew and so it's a really fun premise pretty good premise and anthony perkins plays the director Hell yeah, he which does. is really funny and he's yeah he's very funny in it yeah there's a lot of humor in him playing this role especially even just like i mean he shoots a really gratuitous like shower scene yes. with all these girls and they Again, show the psycho of it all. It's yeah, it's so funny. They, they end up with the killer having a hole through the wall of yep. the shower mm -hmm. to be able to view in the shower. Yep. yep. Yeah, Perkins, uh, you know, is again kind of like a, a shithead and like misogynist to like yep. the woman that is in the lead role who it seems that he's supposed to be sleeping with. Yes. Yeah, I believe uh, so. And so it, all of it is like very uh, interesting and funny. It is not a great movie at all. No. It is like a very hardcore B movie, but yeah, it's uh, one of those movies. has some good kills. It does. Yeah, it's got some good ideas, but it's one of those movies that just has a lot of scenes, but yeah. like not uh, much plot. Um, it's funny too that he plays the director because it's sandwiched in between uh, two of his direct uh, directing jobs. Because after Destroyer, he does Lucky Stiff, 
which he directed, but he was not in. Right. Um, actually, the guy that stars in it, this was like one of his only like like live action roles. He's a voice actor mainly. Yeah, yep. Um, Does a lot of cartoons. And so this was one that we wanted to watch just because it sounded silly. Uh, it's about like this like you know larger man who keeps getting left at the altar, <laughs> and so this very sexy woman like decides that she like wants to be with him and bring him to like family Christmas. And it turns out that her family wants to eat him. Yeah. Um, they're like cannibals. Yeah. They're cannibals. Yeah. It, uh, yeah the- it is like a slapstick cannibal movie. It's yes. so weird. It's really strange. And it's, I genuinely cannot decide if I like this movie or not. Because yeah. I found the lead charming for a little while, eventually got really tired of him and felt like he was mostly just like, you know, uh, doing dad jokes, basically. Like, it, Yeah, like, he kept, he was like, oh, I got to like do my line now. You know, he was yeah. like constant, like it was like, I don't know, like a Rodney Dangerfield kind yes. of thing where he's like, oh, I got to make a joke now. That's the thing. The, the tone of the movie is overall, it's like, what if a Borscht Belt comedian explained the plot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre to you? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's very weird. Yeah, and and so it's like, there are, thi- there are things about it that I do, I don't know, like, but I feel like I like the idea of them more than I like the yes. movie that I was watching. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and and frankly, it isn't even as well directed as Psycho 3, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, we also just like kind of watched a crappy version yeah, of yeah, this, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true, but, yeah. Um, these, these were Tubi movies, and Tubi sometimes seems to just have like VHS rips. Yeah, yeah it's, that's definitely true. Um, and then in 1989, he does a movie called Edge of Sanity, which is an adaptation of Jackal and Hyde. So he plays Jackal and Hyde. I okay. would love to see this movie, actually. Yeah, I would, too. Especially, you know, this this is we're getting close to the end of his career here. Yeah, that seems, uh, you know, that's one way in which he may be capping off the, the yeah. uh, Norman Bates of it all in his career. Right. Um, we then get to his films in the 90s. In 1990, he does the movie Daughter of Darkness, which is a TV movie directed by Stuart Gordon. One of our faves. We yep. love Stuart Gordon. We do. Um, this was one of the least of Gordon's movies that I've seen, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the one of the most interesting things is that uh well actually there are a couple interesting things one this is like a vampire movie and i think that gordon finds a very gordon way to make his vampires like kind of gross and cringy and not like sexy vampires uh also perkins is doing like a romanian accent it's kind of worth watching for that and i've never seen perkins do an accent before i thoroughly enjoyed it it was very fun he's actually like he's like pretty fun and funny in this like it's uh, you know, for sure, a a TV movie and yeah, very I, much a B movie at that. I didn't but. hate this movie. I, no, I, Stuart Gordon is such a good filmmaker and, and in such yeah. a particular, peculiar way that I just kind of always like his mm-hmm. movies. I always find them entertaining and enjoyable. Yeah. This was just like maybe the least of them that yeah. I've seen. And it's um, him and Mia Sarah, which is like yeah. really a really interesting combination of people. And they're good in it together, I think. Yeah, because um, she's such a. It's funny too because she's such a ninety girl in yes. my head and this is definitely him at the end of his career so it is just wa- interesting watching like those two actors come together to work with like a, a pretty beloved uh, like B-movie director. Yeah and um, I feel like Gordon gives Sarah like a lot to do throughout this movie which is a thing that I just like about Gordon movies in general. The women yeah. in them tend to have pretty good roles. Um, yeah I, I thought this movie was alright. 
he was then in the movie I'm Dangerous Tonight, a TV movie directed by Toby Hooper. Which we... Uh, so funny that he worked with all of these, like, people, like, at this time, like, back to back. And we talked about that movie, like, a little bit on the podcast before, because... Um, yeah, D. Wallace was D. Wallace in it. Was in so it, yeah. we, this was a movie that I bought, like, a spanish version of because it is a you know a tv movie they're hard hard to to find find. uh and it is like a kind of fucked up uh i don't know like cinderella story um because like the um, what's her name it's like magica or something i can never actually remember she is from twin peaks yeah and we love her but she's got uh, a very unusual name yes yeah i just i always have trouble remembering (laughs) what it is specifically uh her name is imagine amic amic yes imagine uh, amic she is this girl that somehow finds an aztec robe that she turns into a dress and it makes her like you know be dangerous and do bad things and it's a very silly premise and perkins is like one of her professors yep. who like maybe also like wants to get control of this yep. like magic aztec dress robe thing and, and if nothing else is def a creep def a creep yeah uh but you know this definitely felt like a oh this is like a a a movie that we're like, yeah, this is like a role that Perkins should play. Like we want to get him for this kind of like weird, creepy yeah. guy role. And you know, he's in like three scenes kind of, you know, yeah. it's like a pretty small role and he's fun. He's, he's, he's he is fun. This movie's not great, but uh, you know, I think I liked the, what we were watching this movie for. I liked everybody in it, you know? Yes. Uh, and then he does psycho for the beginning, a TV movie directed by Mick Garris. Uh-huh. So uh, funny. I know. Um, and, you know, again, so here we're getting to, it's like probably the least of the Psycho movies, but still not bad by any means. Well, like way better than the fucking fourth Psycho movie should be. And now all of the research I did, just like I feel like contextualizes this movie in a yes. really interesting way because it is about like Norman talking about his childhood and his life with Norma and what it was like. And it's probably like the most upfront about the fact that like he and Norma had like a very close emotionally, physically abusive relationship where she also like, was very touchy feely with him and maybe like acted inappropriately with her son and all of that. Like, feels very much like something that we talked about earlier with like Perkins' mother and uh, what it was like growing up. And then... It is not just that this movie has that stuff in it, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you now that hearing all this stuff about his relationship with his actual mother, that stuff is right here in this movie. You watch that happen on screen for Norma and Norman, but it's not just that. It's that the premise of the movie is that Norman Bates calls into a late night radio show that is about serial killers and it's about people that like kill their mothers kill their mothers yeah, yeah. Mat- matricide i guess yeah. right um and is literally telling the story yep. of his relationship with his mother so it's like it is a double layer of not just like hey it seems like maybe perkins yeah. had some influence on like what the details of Norma yeah. and Norman's relationship would be, he's straight up telling them to us. Well, because then the second part of this is that you find out that Norman is now married yes. and is married to a woman who got pregnant and 
he is very much afraid of being a father because he thinks he has bad genes that were passed down from Norma. And so the thought of having, of being a father is terrifying, which also seems to be very true for him. Um, And so this, like this movie seems to have like the most about like, yes, this is like very much, stuff from my my own life that I am now putting into Norman and some of that was there and all of it makes sense for Norman too so it's all just so interesting and again he's fantastic as Norman Mm -hmm. yeah he is he is like the least to do because it's mostly him just like talking but he's fantastic and he feels yeah feels very much like Norman and uh, Olivia Hussey plays uh, young Norma Bates and um, uh, I can never remember his whole name is it Henry Ian Thomas uh, the kid from uh, E.T. Might just be Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Yeah, you might be right. I think yeah. I'm thinking of Thomas Ian Nichols. Um, yeah, Henry Thomas uh, from E.T. Uh, yep. Plays young uh, Norman in it and is really good as well. Um, yeah, I, I like, you know, again, it's like, hey, it's a TV movie, but it is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, all this context from his life being brought into it actually like really improves that movie, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. To think about it in that context is really yeah. interesting. Uh, in 1991, he was in the movie A Demon in My View. <laughs> what a, uh, title. a strangler known as the Kenborn Killer has been murdering streetwalkers for 25 years. The police set out to track him down. Oh, uh, let me guess who he plays. And then in 1992, he does a movie called The Naked Target, a Spanish comedy. Okay. And his final role is in the Deep Woods TV movie with Rosanna Arquette, which I would also like to watch. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, a woman fears that the private detective she's been conversing with may be the killer who murdered her beloved friend and dumped her corpse in the forest. Whoa, that's a pretty good premise, too. Yeah. I would like to see that. Yeah, I think it's on 2B. Okay. Um, so, yeah, then um, September 12th, 1992, uh, Anthony Perkins died at the age of 60 in Hollywood. Um, he died of pneumonia um, from complications due to AIDS. Um, so it was actually during the filming, I believe, of Psycho 2 that he found out that he was HIV positive. It was all the way back then, Psycho 2? Um, wow. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Um, if I get the psychos confused, but yeah. Oh no, around uh, Psycho Three. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Still, oh, when he still, was directing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still, and that's only a few years after yeah. that, yeah. Um, yeah. So he contracted it around that time. Kept his illness a secret for years, um, basically until his death, because he, um, so because he wanted to keep working and he didn't want to worry his friends and family. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and the only person who really knew he was sick was his wife. Mm. Um, actually the way he found out is really fucked up during the nineties. He got a blood sample taken, um, due to palsy on the side of his face. The national Enquirer illegally had Tony's blood sample tested for the AIDS virus and found out that it was positive. Um, what a fucking horrible thing to do. And what a terrible way to find that out then too. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that is how he found out that he was actually HIV positive. Um, he there's a quote I found from him too. Uh, I have learned more about love, selflessness, and human understanding from the people I have met in this great adventure in the world of AIDS than I ever did in the cutthroat competitive world in which I spent my life. Wow, wow, um, damn. Because so he man, and so he passes away like two years after finding out that diagnosis. Yep. Uh, he was cremated, and these. Um, 
uh, inscription on the urn read, don't fence me in. Okay. Nice. Which is like yeah. so yeah. interesting when you think about his life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he had uh, he had agreed to voice the dentist on the Simpsons episode uh, last exit to Springfield, but died before work began. The role then went mm. to Hank Azaria. Oh wow! I mean, that's that's wild because that I mean, well, maybe Azaria was already voicing other characters on the show. I don't know. Interesting. <sighs> yeah. Um, so yeah, some other like interesting information I found. Um, in the late fifties, Perkins released three pop albums, mm-hmm. uh, but a career as a singer never materialized. Although he did have several successful singing roles in Broadway musicals. Uh, his first single in nineteen fifty six was called "A Little Love Can Go a Long Way." Yeah, I uh, have listened to his music before actually, and it's pretty good. It's, yeah, I mean it is fifties pop music. Yeah, and that's also like just seems like a thing they tried to do with like actors and stuff too. It's like, oh, you should do like several things. Yeah. You need to be singing and yeah, that multi hyphenate thing that became yeah. popular again in the nineties. Yeah. Um, he was very good friends with Rodney, uh, Roddy McDowell, uh, Gore Vidal, and James Baldwin. Oh, okay, that is interesting. It makes sense. So Roddy McDowell was uncredited, but voiced one of the robots in Black Hole. Oh, so that is probably from his friendship with. Because uh, I was wondering uh, if they had been in anything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, those are also uh, like James Baldwin and Gore Vidal were also like uh gay men yeah, yeah. Uh, that he was very close with and like very iconic ones too and yeah. very outspoken and baldwin is like one of my favorite humans yeah. so i was like so happy that they were friends um he loved orson wells and he actually uh wanted to write a book about him but he decided not to because he didn't want to upset wells uh, <laughs> who later said that he loved the idea of norman of uh, i almost keep calling him norman <laughs> of anthony writing that yeah he, he says that uh I, I i feel like uh perkins was probably right on, on this one yeah uh, he was nominated twice for Broadway Tony Awards in 1958 as Best Actor for Look Homeward Angel okay. and in 1960 as Best Actor for Green Willow. All right. Um, he performed The Marriage of Director Ken Russell to his second wife, Vivian Jolly, in 1983. Awesome. Hilarious. Um, oh, yeah. He was like arrested at Heathrow for possession of marijuana and LSD. Way to go, man. Wow. Um, he was awarded two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for television, um, uh, one at 6801 Hollywood Boulevard and for motion picture at 6821 uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, so pretty interesting that he has uh, two stars. I yeah. love that. Um, and then I thought this was really sweet. He wrote a letter to his sons before he uh, like passed away because he uh. knew he was going to die. And he wrote, boys, don't try to find a woman as wonderful as your mother to marry, because if you do, you'll stay single your whole lives. <laughs> um, That's very sweet. And yes. Cute. Um, so some of the sources I uh, found were uh, Fabiosa, uh, Attitude.co.uk, um, Mama. Uh, dot com and sleepingallday.com. Okay. Um, so some of these also just like uh, that one in particular had some interesting information about um, him and Tuesday Welds. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, this was a real delight. Uh, I feel like getting to see some of these movies was like a real treat for me. I really yeah. loved like someone beyond, behind the door uh, and some other stuff, but also just like, uh, I don't know, getting to learn about this man's interesting, complicated difficult strange life yes and 
seeing the way that plays out on screen throughout his career mm-hmm. is so interesting. Yeah. This feels like some of the best context we've gotten yet for like someone's career and how it actually kind of, yeah, you know, it, it, the way it plays out through their sure. life and with their life. Yeah. Uh, so this is cool. This was great. Yeah. Um, anything we need to be plugging? MovieJohn.com, J-A-W-N. Yep. Find us everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. It's Killer BS Podcast. You can look me up at Philadelphia. That's with an F. One letter box. Check me out there. Where he runs our social media. Yep. Good stuff. I'm Victoria Potenza on the social media things as well and on Letterbox. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up. Yeah. yeah. Buzz, buzz. Buzz.